0: From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Right now, there are thousands of Australian citizens trapped in India, unable to get home, as the COVID-19 pandemic continues to devastate the country. The federal government is banning its own citizens from returning to Australia if they've been in India in the previous two weeks. Last week, the Australian government took the unprecedented step of barring all Australians in India from returning. It's the first time in history that Australia has blocked its own citizens from returning home. That announcement was followed up by the threat of up to five years in jail for anyone who broke the decree. Anyone who who does not comply with these rules uh, faces pretty severe penalties at jail time. The legality of the move, which the government says is about protecting Australia from the virus, has been questioned by experts. The Human Rights Commission has raised serious concerns about the government's India flight ban, saying tough new restrictions could breach international law. Critics of the policy have also pointed out no such bans were put in place during outbreaks of a similar scale in Europe and the US. Uh, The ban is racist, it's possibly illegal, uh, it's not supported by the medical advice and it's got to go. Today, Indian-Australian economist Gabriella D'Souza on the situation in India right now and what the federal government's new travel ban says about how we treat our own. Gabby, the Australian government has banned Australian citizens and permanent residents in India from returning to this country. As an Indian-Australian watching this situation unfold over the last week or so, what have you been thinking?
1: Yeah, it's been kind of heartbreaking to witness. Um, You know, first just looking at the absolute devastation and hearing, you know, these horror stories that really don't feel real about what's happening in India and then, you know, fearing the worst for the people that you know who live there. And then feeling like your government's just turned its back on people like you and people who are in this situation. It's just awful. And, um, you know, having been in a similar situation uh, early on where I felt like I'd been abandoned with no repatriation flights and no hope of coming back, this just drives the knife even further.
0: Can you tell me about the situation that you were in? You travelled to India to be with your family. Can you tell me about that decision and and what it was like in India?
1: Yeah, so I um, my dad passed away sadly in June last year and I wasn't able to make it back very quickly. And, you know, my, my dad was laid to rest uh, without me being there. Uh, about three months later in September, I was able to go back to India and just with my mom and spend some time with her and my brother and I really appreciated that time to be able to grieve this huge loss in my family with them and after about a month I started to make moves to come back to Australia and I started to look for flights and it was just really really difficult you know before I left the government had made some remarks saying that they would have all Australians back by December and that was just not the case. There were just very few repatriation flights to the extent that they existed. And commercial flights were really expensive. People say, people seem to think that, oh, you know, you can, why haven't you just gone back to Australia? Like, you know, when they look at stranded Australians, they're like, well, you know, it's so easy, you just jump on a flight. But it's <laughs> really not. We have a lot of systems in place um, that have restricted the supply of tickets. We have a really strict, uh, you know, hotel quarantine system, obviously. We've got really strict caps on our flights. Um, so I I ended up having to stick around for Christmas and New Year and started to try and come back again towards the end of January. And then in February, I, I had a really great travel agent who was helping me out. Um, a friend of mine who just, you know, basically left no stone unturned in trying to get me back to Australia.
0: And what is the situation for your family who are in India? Are they stuck there? Are they trying to come back?
1: My mum is an Indian citizen, as is my brother. Uh, and so much as I would love them to be here with me, where it's safe, and you know where I can, um, I can have them live with me. I, that's just not an option that's open to me. So my, I, it, it breaks my heart that there's not more that I can do. Um, so they, are they're, they're this, you know, they are Indian citizens, and so they, um, they really can't go anywhere. Mm.
0: And so you returned to Australia before this current wave of COVID-19 in India. But what is it like there at the moment? What are your family telling you? Um it's pretty bad. Breaking news coming in this morning where India has broken all previous records of the highest single day rise in cases. The past 24
1: hours- I'm fairly lucky in that my family Live in a state where it hasn't got as bad as, say, in Delhi or in Bombay or in Pune.
0: Makeshift funeral pyres burn around the clock. Crematoriums are running out of
1: space too. Those major cities are really doing it tough.
0: I begged him. I literally started crying in front of him that, please, I just need one bed
1: for her. I read a story the other day about kids who were starting to be orphaned because they'd lost both their parents through to COVID.
0: Nishi Sharma also has a picture of her mother-in-law, Bina, who struggled for oxygen and died when she couldn't get a ventilator in the country's capital, Delhi.
1: The fact that there aren't enough Oxygen tanks, and it's it's just it just feels like a bit of a war zone at the moment.
0: You you told me that you know
1: that there is a bed. You you told me on a helpline number. That's why I came here. Goa, which is where my family is, it's it's not too bad, but the hospitals are starting to get to capacity, and because it's a bit more regional, the quality of the hospitals isn't that great. So I really worry for them, and you know what will happen to them is, should they get COVID, which is just a horrible thing to have to think about. The death toll in parts of India, both
0: metropolitan and rural, is staggering. Sir, for one minute, come and look at my mother. A man pleads. A doctor follows him to the ambulance and prepares to say the words he's had to say over and over again in the past day alone. She's no more.
1: but they, you know, they're they're doing everything they can to remain safe and to remain indoors and just kind of waiting for it to pass, to be honest. I've spoken to so many of my friends and extended family, just, you know, there's just a really, there's a collective fear and there's a real helplessness as well amongst people who live here, who have family in India and who are just feeling helpless about that situation.
0: We'll be back in a moment. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House. On from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. As a a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for the Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, the Saturday Paper, and you'll receive the Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit saturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. Gabby, when this outbreak in India began, we started to see some calls here in Australia from state premiers, notably Western Australia's Mark McGowan, to stop all flights from India. Look, I, suspo- uh, I support a suspension uh, because it's putting at risk um,
1: uh, this country.
0: Not long after that, Scott Morrison made the announcement that under the Biosecurity Act, no Australians in India would be allowed to return.
1: I mean, There is a raging pandemic and we need to just continue to take decisions that are in the best health interests of Australia.
0: And that was followed up by a late-night press release making it clear the kinds of penalties a person would face if they did somehow get back into Australia.
1: We've done all the right things to keep Australia safe during this pandemic. This is another very difficult decision I feel terribly for the Indian community.
0: There's been a lot of talk about this announcement and the fact that it's more extreme than any other travel bans that have been put in place over the past year or so. So how rare is it for a country to bar
1: its own citizens from returning? So we know India is going through... Um, you know, it's an awful, awful second wave of this virus. Um, but we know that even when the UK and the US had their second waves, you know, their per capita cases were a lot higher than ours. And we never done them. We never said that uh, permanent residents or Australian citizens who were in the UK or the US couldn't come to Australia. Why have we done that for India? You know, these people are our responsibility. They're our citizens. You know, a lot of, uh, I mean, I did have an Indian passport before I became Australian. And when you become Australian, uh, you give up your Indian citizenship because India doesn't allow you to have a dual citizenship. So for a lot of these people, you know, Australia is the only home they know in terms of, you know, uh, where they're from. And it's really just galling that the government's taken this incredibly strict stance on migrants. Oh, this is a, a, a temporary measure which we'll relook at in a few weeks' time, but... It is so if you look at what Minister Taj, the Minister for Education, said about this issue... About 15% of our Howard Springs facility now has COVID in it, and mm-hmm. nearly all of that has been from returning Indians in recent weeks. The medical you know, he talked about the issue in Howard Springs and how there'd been quite a few positive cases, but he referred to the people there as Indians. He didn't refer to them as Australians. And in Howard Springs, it's 15% now, nearly all of which have been um, brought about from Indians coming in recently. So it's just a very... Now, the interesting thing about Howard Springs is that you have to be an Australian citizen and, of course, there'll be some permanent residents as well in that facility. So these people are Australian. They're Australian in documentation. They've signed up to Team Australia. They've taken the pledge. But to ministers in the government, they're still Indians. Mm.
0: And... Let's talk a bit about what the response has been to this policy because I think in the past travel bans have been somewhat popular um, among people who are obviously fearful of the virus. But there has been a backlash I think we've seen to this particular announcement and that has come from some unexpected places.
1: Yeah, so <laughs> I think I know what you're getting out there. Um, you know, we, we did see the first wave of backlash from, you know, migrant migrant communities and peak bodies. How is the Australian Indian community
0: perceiving
1: this travel ban? They are very much frustrated and they are feeling left out and a second-class citizens feeling out sitting in India, saying that why Australian government has abandoned us. So that's, that's the perception. But when the thing came in about possible jail terms and fines for, you know, Australian citizens and banning them from, effectively banning them from entering their own country, that's when things got extremely heated. And jailing and fining returning Aussies, um, I mean, as a sitting Prime Minister, it's incredibly heartless. Well, Carl, um, as I've said, I think the... And then, you know, we saw the likes of Andrew Bolt and the IPA come out and say that this was unacceptable. Are we really saying... If these Australians get sick with the virus, we want them to stay in a country where they will battle to even find a hospital bed or a hospital with oxygen. We'd say that. So we've seen the Prime Minister come forward and, you know, maybe even some would say walk it back. And uh, I think it would be remote, uh, a very remote circumstance that would see them imposed in these circumstances... But and say that, you know, some of these sanctions might not necessarily be used and that they'll be done... My read of that was that, you know, they'd be done on, like, a case case-by-case basis. So I don't want to see them necessarily imposed anywhere because I don't want to see people breaching the rule. And uh, if everybody cooperates, then we can get things uh, in a stronger position, and that means we can start those repatriation flights again. I think, uh... I'm hopeful that, you know, by the 15th of May they will have stopped that. But, you know, it remains to be seen the government's not committing um, to stopping it.
0: Mm. And so what do you think is underlying this, Gabriella? What is this really about when it comes down to it? Because I think there is obviously a genuine fear of this particular strain of COVID-19 and other countries have banned arrivals from India as well. But there is no other country that has banned their own citizens from returning, let alone laid out criminal penalties for doing so. So, is this about our quarantine facilities not being good enough? Is this about complacency, as some people have suggested? Is it about racism?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's probably the the latter. So I think there is a hint of racism to this uh, for sure. You know, there's ways that we can improve our quarantine systems, and the government should at least come out and say what they intend to do over the next two weeks, whilst they're, they're supposedly bolstering our quarantine systems, and should say what metrics they're going to use to try and bring people back once once they've uh, decided that our quarantine systems are effective. They've done none of that. So I think the I think the interesting thing with this is that we you know we saw the. Labor premiers in WA and Queensland kind of taking a bit of a hardline stance on, on this issue. And um, it does seem like as a country and even within our own states, and we've seen this play out for the last 14 months, that you know we're very keen to close off our borders to anyone who we think might endanger us. And obviously that's currently being unfairly used against Indian Australians. You know, closing down borders should be a difficult decision. That the government makes it shouldn't be the first thing we reach for but time and again we've seen that it's the first thing that governments reach for
0: gabby thank you so much for your time today
1: thank you so much
0: i um i really hope everything goes okay with your family
1: yeah i hope so too Mahler's
0: music embodies the very essence of humanity. Experience his epic Song of the Earth with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Richard Tognetti and internationally acclaimed opera stars Stuart Skelton and Catherine Carby. Opens May 12. Book now at aco.com.au Also in the news today... A Sydney man in his 50s with no known links to COVID-19 cases in hotel quarantine has tested positive to the virus. New South Wales authorities say urgent investigations into the source of the infection and contact tracing are underway. Meanwhile, the General Manager of Infection Control at the agency running Victoria's hotel quarantine program has been stood down. The man allegedly breached protocols twice in the past two months with the head of COVID-19 Quarantine Victoria describing the breaches as minor but disappointing. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.